Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by the Northern Illinois University College of Business where your future is without boundaries and our approach is to. I am joined as always with my incredible co-host Dr. Biagio Palese. Hello Biagio! Ciao a tutti! Welcome, welcome to another great episode. For this episode, being a musician today. The Gateway is excited to speak with Sam Varga, an eclectic and kinetic musician, bringing years of performing and songwriting from Nashville. Sam has already established himself as an incredible songwriter and dynamic performer. With a unique mix of punk, blues, emo, and country, Sam's sound is wholly unique. With multiple singles, a debut EP, and a brand new release called Sugar Coated, Sam is on his way to selling out arenas around the globe. Sam, thanks for so much for joining us today. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How about y'all? We we are good. Biagio is here. I'm here. We're excited to talk to you. Uh, I was I was really excited to to come across your content on on TikTok and then on Instagram and then it took me to Spotify and, and I, I really enjoy your sound as 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 a musician and as a writer. Um, so I, I want to start at the beginning as always. What what brought you into this pathway? What why is this what you want to do with your life? The movie Freaky Friday. <laughs> The the one, uh, am I thinking it's the teenage one where she switches bodies with her mom and all that stuff? Lindsay Lohan yes. so hard. <laughs> she went so hard that it was all that fourth grade Sam could do to follow in her footsteps. And that was uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was the mom, I believe, right? Of course it was. Of course. It, if it was anyone else, that movie would have been terrible. Exactly. But those two powerhouses. I'm so, so tell me why that one. You just had to go for it and just be everything Lindsay Lohan was. It's kind of a conver uh, convergence of two things, actually. Uh, so I was playing Tony Hawk Pro Skater 4 a lot. And there was T uh, TNT by ACDC was on there. And uh, so I started listening to ACDC. And is this really, you know, riff-driven, powerful, driving music. And then shortly thereafter, I saw Freaky Friday or before, I can't remember. And then I was like, okay, what is this? What is this music guitar thing? Why haven't I wanted to do this until now? And I think it's really interesting. If you look at, um, if you look at a lot of guitar players in the like 90s and early 2000s there's a really common trend that uh you know I, I don't want to get the guitar players wrong but i think it's like joe satriani paul gilbert like uh all these guitar heroes all wanted to learn guitar because of back to the future hmm. when there's that one yes. scene with marty and his 335 and he just kind of like takes control and like he's like it's the hero moment, right? Yes, yes. And Is it Johnny B. Good when he played? Yeah, I, it was Johnny yes. B. Good, absolutely. Yes. Um, and so not only was there those hero moments in uh, uh, Freaky Friday, 
but it also like had like a garage band element like i hate my parents type stuff you know (laughs) we're gonna rock out our woes away teenagers and so just like i don't know it's just that I, i sucked at sports and that seemed very cathartic to a person who didn't know what the word cathartic meant at that age but that was how it happened <laughs> this shows that your artistic and and creative process has grown because you're using words like cathartic now so i'm very impressed with that good job oh i <laughs> hate it i'm such a snob <laughs> <laughs> isn't it nice when you say something and then you look at yourself and you're like oh okay that's who i i just use that what okay. have you become <laughs> right right when it when sony like a and r comes and picks you up and you're starting to do like very large stadium tours then you can use the word cathartic and i think people will be okay with it you know Yes. <laughs> All right. So then you're, you're fourth grade, you see the stuff, you start doing that. What, what is, uh, what is that process been for you as I would say you've stepped more into the actual professional realm of songwriting and performing, touring, things like that. What, what has that process been like? Because um, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that, that either think it's easy or hard or st- or difficult or a waste of time like I don't think many people understand what it's like to be a musician nowadays so if you could give us just some some context of your experience I think that would be awesome well so my world changed whenever my older sister uh, came home from college and brought home two bands which were Senses Fail and Sayosin nice Um, (laughs) Senses Fail being you know one of the original really emo bands and you know highly influenced from like the heydays of uh emo by like bands like fugazi and ride of spring and stuff like that and seos and being kind of like the latter form of that which was you know more prog rock um Hmm. and then as soon as i heard that i was like hooked and i didn't want to play with my acdc anymore right um and that was what made me want to start writing. But the thing about the, the reason I'm doing this preface is because I came up in the emo scene, there was this gigantic sense of community. It wasn't competitive. Um, and writing the songs was really important, but playing the songs was equally as important. And everybody just wanted to play with each other and play as many shows as possible. Hmm. And so then whenever you start playing shows at, you know, 14, 15, 16, that you've booked yourself hmm. in Legion halls or community centers or basements, or you start communicating with bands via, you know, MySpace and Facebook to show swap. Like, hey, I'll play a show there with y'all. Y'all get us on a bill here. And the next thing you know, you're going out of state on the weekends as a high schooler, which makes you feel like a rock star. Um, so that's how I kind of got used to playing. It was just that happened completely like natural. Like, the shows and stuff and Mm. like quote unquote touring uh then I went to college didn't do a lot of music um got a degree got really depressed and realized that like I had to do it like for better for worse I had to give this another shot and that took me to Nashville and then Nashville is kind of where the the professional aspect of it came because I learned how to write a song. Uh, mm. I had to learn how to write a song that would make the song 
palatable for as many people as possible? How do I get what I want to say into three minutes? And then from the past five years living in Nashville, you just kind of are around the industry more. And I guess there's just different avenues for you to explore and for you to take. And so that's kind of like where I guess my business mind of this shit came from. It was mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. I got to do X, Y, and Z to get X, Y, and Z. And that's been good because it keeps me busy, but it's also a trap. Like that also like will t- take you away from the music and become almost like a form of procrastination. Like, oh, I need to get my publishing deal. I need to meet with these publishers. I need to have a meeting a week. I need to send these emails. I need to have my photo shoots done. I need a backlog TikTok content. Yeah, sure. But if that's your priority, then that's just like procrastination for doing the art, which is the hard, scary part. Uh, okay, so do you think that has, um, in, in of course, all of these are just in, in your experience, but um, has that helped your creativity or, or hindered it when, when you're starting to have to deal with more of the business side of stuff? Um, yeah, probably. Um, for me, it's one of those deals where I'm such a procrastinator that like, that's that's why I do so much co-writing these days Ah. Uh, which is where like you know I'm accountable to show up to a room with people that day that I will let down if I don't show up or at least piss off yeah and that's when I'm going to write my music left to my own devices I'm not going to sit down alone until my entire apartment is clean until (laughs) i've gone to the gym until i've sent you know those three emails until i've made tiktoks which is my least favorite thing to do but i will put that in before sitting down and writing a song so i think the more that i have to do that it's just more excuses to like you know not sit down and do the work which is why co-writing is so great because it makes it less daunting and you know the but especially whenever you start getting in the room with really great people who let you be yourself and say your message, but want to make it the best possible, you know, as, as good as possible. That's been really cool. Gotcha. Okay. I'm, I'm Sam. I'm absolutely loving picking your mind on all of this stuff. So know that I got, yeah. I got a bunch of random questions within this stuff. Bring so we, okay, perfect. I love that. <laughs> um, so when, when you start yes. to write and, and I've heard this question asked to, to a lot of uh, musicians, if you're going to sit and write a song, what, what do you go for first music or lyrics, or do you mix based on whatever the, the, the creation demands? Um, it's always a great question. Cause it's a, never the same answer. Um, Got it. <laughs> I think, I think it's, I think, I think you get, uh, how to, how to say this? I'm looking for a metaphor because I'm a songwriter. Uh, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's like a toolkit, right? The longer you do the job, the more tools you have, the, uh, the more you sit down, the more pathways you have into a song. Um, you know, sometimes I'll you know, be out and about and I'll have a great song idea and I'll want to save that song idea for a particular producer. And I'll want that song idea to have a certain vibe. Like, hey, 
kind of in the lane of like this band or kind of in the lane of this song. Let's go for those Sonics. Um, other times, uh, I'll get the the lyrical idea and the melody just in my head, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, other times, I'll just be jamming on a guitar and I'll stumble across like a really cool lead or a vibe that I like, and then you know the lyrics kind of fall out of that. Uh, sometimes it happens all at once, um, but I think just the more pathways you have into a song, uh, the better. And that just comes from like sitting down and doing it over and over again. The because the hardest one is whenever you're alone mm. in a room and nothing's coming, <laughs> and <laughs> it's like, okay, what am I gonna do? Am I gonna start doing fucking like ad libs or just some ad libs <laughs> or whatever? Like, you know, you know, and, and in those moments, the thing that I have to do is just kind of have to close my eyes and I just I wait until like I'll, I'll even like change the capo on the guitar. Mm. until i until i find like this tonal thing that resonates with me and like why does that key feel good yeah then, almost the spiritual side of it yeah like why does this key feel good okay mm-hmm. where does this need to go okay well if i do this what's this and but that that that's the work you know yeah uh there's a really cool analogy. Uh, I was in an advertising class um, and they were showing us stuff about like creativity and there's this really awesome TED talk if you want to know about writing uh, and kind of like um, inspiration. It's by the woman who wrote uh, Eat, Pray, Love. Mm. And she was talking about how the Greeks have a completely different, or the ancient Greeks had a completely different notion of inspiration and talent than we do today and if you were say you were a poet right Mm -hmm. and you go outside that day you're inspired and you write the greatest poem of all time there your friends and family would be like oh congratulations the muses visited you today the angels came to you how great Mm -hmm. so it wasn't really your doing but then if you didn't write a poem that day, they would come over to you and they'd be like, oh, that's not your fault. Like the angels just didn't come to you today. Mm. So whenever I'm getting stressed out, that's what I do. <laughs> <laughs> that does allow for, I think it's safer to fail in that type of a mindset than it is in, in maybe ours where uh, content and, and literally creation um, is is something essential nowadays. And if you're not creating and creating and creating, whether it's like you've addressed a TikTok backlog or a song or something, then you have been a complete waste of your talents and abilities. And I, I don't know, I think that can be really damning at some point. I agree with you, but I, I like what you said about, um, you know, kind of like that permission to fail thing. To, to tell me here, th- this saved my life with TikTok. Let me know if this is similar uh, for you all. Yeah. Um, you're talking about content. You just have to pump out content, pump out content. I started getting a lot more traction on my TikTok when I quit being so precious about it. Like hmm. I wasn't trying to make the one viral video and I wasn't trying to make this big sketch. So I was just like, oh, I got these two ideas. Okay, 
did those real fast, put them in the backlog. Okay, I did these two real fast, put them in the backlog. And it's like an accuracy by volume, like just lobbing <laughs> all the bullets instead <laughs> of like that one perfect shot. Yeah. But then like, then I think you kind of find a flow uh, and it's just something like, it's, it becomes like a check mark. Uh, like just, hey, I did this today. I got it out. Because it's hard to do shows. You know, it's hard to put together uh, an hour of, something you know so i was wondering if that if you all felt the same way like have you all found that the more you just kind of like just throw a noodle at the wall throw two or three noodles at the wall does that work better for you all or do you have to meticulously plan out everything no i i think uh, yeah biagio i think for for this at least this podcast it was kind of basically our our strategy it was like let's uh we have an idea let's just start bringing out and and we just start sending emails to people like you sam and some say yes some say no and we're like oh okay well we'll just kind of build around this and and it it's been a whole lot more enjoyable than maybe some of the the bigger uh projects i've taken on where i you know like you said i'm gonna do this perfectly and it's gonna be great and maybe uh you know 10 people appreciate it and then i'm like well damn that was a whole lot of work but biagio what about you how about how about that Uh, oh i want I want to agree with that. I will say we are lucky enough because majority of our content come from the great guests that we recruit on the show, right? So it's part of the job is already done when we have the, we are lucky enough to have people like you accepting to be part of it, right? And then we kind of go with the flow. And so, yeah, I would agree with Russ. I, I think we, we work at idle time with this idea and then now it's pretty much as you describe it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would, I would agree within that stuff. So, but one yeah. thing, one thing I wanted to go back. Uh, that I think Sam was saying is, it's kind of important because it, it is happening for him, like procrastination. I think procrastination is a big topic, uh, not only for like him, like so a, a creator, but also like for me that I do research, right? Uh, as as a professor, is is very difficult to allocate the time for something that you are not putting on the spot until there is, for example, a conference deadline or a paper deadline, uh, while it's much more difficult to procrastinate when you have to prepare to go to class in front of your student student and look stupid because you are not prepared for the class. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other side, I think it's the same thing for our students, right? Because they will not study until there is an exam or uh, an assignment to submit because you know that there is no way you test their knowledge ahead of time, and so they just procrastinate, uh, and they cannot they cannot go to the floor. Uh, I wonder, like in in this case, I think Sam kind of mentioned like the idea of code writing, right? So, uh, do you have any other, any other suggestion for young people to kind of stay on top of things, uh, even if you know it, it is difficult at times, or if in nature we are procrastinators? Because I think we all are in the end. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been, it's so funny, Yaji, I've been thinking about this a lot recently. Um, I don't know why, but it keeps on coming up in the conversations, you know, the notion of kids learning. I don't know, I don't know what I've been doing to talk about the youth of America or the youth of the world to like, but uh, I don't know how I'm talking about this, but uh, I have had a lot of conversations about this and I think it's really interesting. Um, for to answer the first part of your question, what do you do when something is hard? Um, I think that's, that's a muscle. Um, that's a muscle that needs to be worked. Uh, the more you do it, the easier it'll be. You know, the more you create a habit. Uh, 
my mom used to tell me, go do something when you have to go do something. It's like, Mm. (laughs) if you have to sit down for, and that's so confusing. What I mean by is if you have to study and you're in your house all day and you know you have to study, you're never going to study. Yeah. (laughs) But if you decide, hey, I'm going to go to the park at two o'clock and I'm going to study for two and a half hours. Or, hey, I'm going to go to the coffee shop. I'm going to put my headphones on and I'm going to study for two and a half hours. The thing I used to do is whenever I'd have work to do is um, I didn't like coffee shops too much because like coffee would just wreck my stomach and give me like awful anxiety. So what I started doing is I started, this is so weird. And maybe this makes me a sociopath, but um, I would go to bars. I would go to a bar and I would sit at the, the end of the bar and I would put my headphones on, but I wouldn't turn on music. <laughs> so so I would just have the white noise of the bar. So I felt like I was somewhere. And then that was enough to just be like, oh, hey, I'm doing something. I'm doing something fun. And then my passive activity would become studying, right? <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's why I was at the bar. So I think, I think location, I think going someplace, making an event out of the hard thing to do. But I also think if it's, if you're studying and it's something that's, you know, really hard for you to get into may not be the thing you're supposed to be studying. Like I think ADD and ADHD are very fucking real. Um, I also think that you're going to see more of this because kids are only allowed to learn one way and learn about certain stuff. I uh, heard about this theory the other day that ADD and ADHD are actually uh like a leftover uh like a leftover tool almost from whenever we were uh like cavemen (laughs) it's like you had the hunters and you had the gatherers and you had this you know as and as we can become a more sedentary people who aren't running around all the time you see how hard it is to focus and that's because the people who have add and adhd were probably the hunters because that's like why they're so high strung and like mm. why they're constantly on the move but which i think is interesting i've been trying to learn a little bit about it we're rambling now <laughs> sam this is awesome i'm loving i'm loving everything there and i really like some of those those ideas you're having because again the hard things can can be something we just put away because they're hard and, and we don't want to do them so i appreciate that i know some i know some of our, our listeners are, are going to be sitting at a bar in the corner like doing <laughs> the work they need to their taxes or something like that so i appreciate yeah. that <laughs> um so i want to i want to kind of pivot now to more of um not so much the the creative and the, and the actual writing and performing side of things but more of what the industry you're in has been becoming and um tiktok is is one of those things that i think right now is is completely altering at least the way we perceive music being 
found or at least some of those those new artists i mean one video goes viral and next thing they're you know they're they're at Lollapalooza and they have a deal and all that but really they only maybe have one song things like that stuff um okay then you have confirmed artists and and i'm specifically thinking of halsey who kind of went at that methodology where different studios and different labels are saying well you can't halsey literally halsey you can't release your song because it hasn't developed enough traction yet on these different apps so we're not sure it's going to be uh you picked up and, and played on that one i think there's two completely different sides of this same coin right here within that and um I'm just wondering what it feels like for for someone like yourself who's still kind of working their way up maybe not to Halsey level but also not exactly playing basements anymore either that I think you kind of have to be aware of both of those like it'd be great for you Sam to have a, a a billion view video and you're picked up and now you're traveling and doing all that stuff but then on the other side of that now you're kind of conditioned to meeting the the need of your viewers on TikTok or any of the social media am I even conceiving that correctly or is that complete bullshit no it's here's the deal like point blank it sucks for me personally um i i have to keep myself constantly from feeling sorry for myself and lamenting the fact that somewhere along the line this business changed from getting into a van with your buddies and just absolutely fucking roughing it and seeing this country mm-hmm. and playing these awful bars to no one and turned into sitting in front of a ring light. <laughs> and I am so pissed off that my timing is that I landed on the other side. Right? <laughs> um, and the other thing is, it's almost like you had to be like grandfathered in. It's like someone drew the line. It's like, okay, at this point, these types of artists, we don't even want you on TikTok. We're going to listen to you forever. Don't worry about it. Like, mm-hmm. one of my favorite artists is Jason Isbell. Jason Isbell's never going to get a fucking TikTok. Yep. Um, yep. I think he actually has one. He just doesn't post. Uh, right. You're right. Um, but for me, it's like, that's not, that's not my reality. Um, and with everything changing so fast, it's like, well, the music industry is as dumb as the artists at this point. You know what I mean? It's like, we're all trying to figure this out together. They just like are the bank. They mm-hmm. didn't know what to do with Napster. They didn't know what to do with streaming. How are you going to adapt to streaming? This is just the new thing. And yep. they're breaking artists in a very way, in a way that we haven't been able to do in a long time. So now they want everybody to do stuff on TikTok because it's the only way to know have this pop off before the song releases but you know what it it's hard to translate atlantic records signed a whole bunch of people as soon as tiktok blew up that aren't doing anything yes and uh i went to go see a show from a major artist uh and it was in their hometown and they had had uh gargantuan success we're talking like number one song and half the room was filled wow you're like wait what 
the thing that doesn't translate is that you know streams aren't streams don't uh necessarily mean a fan base and uh a hundred thousand followers doesn't necessarily mean a live show so Mm. you you still got to do all this stuff and so for me with tiktok it's just like tiktok's my tiktok's a tool and it's my responsibility to find a way to do it as much as possible in a way that doesn't make me want to headbutt a screwdriver and it is my responsibility to the people who are going to view my content that like i'm not a douchebag yeah <laughs> and I, like i do this in an authentic way because i think that's the only way you can do it consistently if you're trying to do the viral trends and if you're trying to be something you're not then that's going to come through people aren't going to like your shit and you're going to get burnt out faster but if i have a song coming up that i got to release excuse me if i have a song coming up that i get to release that i am fortunate enough to release (laughs) um i know that i'm gonna have three to four weeks of straight tiktok and Mm. i have to do those in a way that doesn't drive me crazy and i have to do that in a way that's gonna come you know be authentic and do the end goal justice so um it's just that's that's kind of where i got into the don't treat it so preciously just Mm -hmm. get on do it and be done with it and then if something's you know cool happens and you get a lot of views go comment i love commenting on tiktok i think it's so much fun and i love like messing with the haters because i just like like (laughs) i'll agree with them and i'll psych them out or i'll kill them with kindness it's just it's so much fun it that's my favorite part about tiktok is commenting Hmm. Uh, Ross, I, I think one important point, and, and Sam, you you can tell me if I am right or wrong, but uh, I'm not an expert on music, but I think the way technology disrupted the industry is in the way that nowadays the music is consumed and how it is bro- broadcasted to people, right? So in back in the days, if you were an artist, you have to reach out with your music, you have to go to the radio, you have to record an album and people need to buy it. Everything it was very controlled, right? Uh, and you decided when you release, and there was pretty much no pressure, right? But nowadays, if you want to interact with the crowd on TikTok, and your crowd can be anywhere in the world, you need to think about many different things, like when to start the TikTok, when to post it, uh, who is going to be available at that specific point in time, how often you need to post to keep your crowd engaged. Isn't it like having a online uh, tour like throughout the year without being on tour or is it my perception completely wrong? Well, um, I think you're right in the sense of how consistent it is and how nonstop it is. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, it would break my heart if touring was anything like TikTok. (laughs) <laughs> like like I, like I am doing TikToks so that I can hopefully one day go on a big tour you know yeah. mm-hmm. and not just like little shows and stuff um I think um but I understand is a way, sorry is a way to for you like to get noticed and get a little bit of popularity so that maybe there's gonna be somebody willing to you know, have you on tour, right? That's, it's, it's kind of a way to, you reach out 
potential consumer, potential people that would like to come on your tour. Exactly right. I think it's like mm -hmm. walking into a bank with a, you know, with a bad credit score. If you don't mm -hmm. have, any, if you don't have any followers, if you don't have any streams, they're gonna be like, okay, but so why should I do this? Um, yeah. But I will say one of the things that I've heard, um, and I cannot confirm this. This is just something I've heard somebody say, is that uh, as far as touring goes, venues more so than the amount of followers you have on Instagram or the amount of followers you have on TikTok or your TikTok views or even your Spotify streams, the biggest indicator on whether or not people are going to come to your show is the number of Spotify followers. So that's the thing they're most interested in. And uh, which I think is actually kind of comforting <laughs> you know because like those are the people who are invested into your music and it, it all goes into i mean that, that's that's the whole deal listen nothing in this business has ever moved the needle has never done a damn thing except for fans mm. that's the only thing that has ever mattered and getting those fans interacting with those fans that's what it all comes down to so the I guess the question is now: Are TikTok likes, are TikTok followers, real fans? And I think the answer is yes if they're engaged correctly. Mm. Mm. Same. And, that, and, and yeah. to, sorry, sorry, Russ. Go, go. Because it's it's very interesting, well, and also connected to my research. The fact that you were saying that commenting is the funniest part. Commenting is a way to kind of engage with them, right? You show that you are present with them and showing like also your personality beyond the video that you showed. How did you like approach this commenting? Is, did you just do like to tease the haters or do you just try to uh, show more of yourself outside of what they can see in that specific video? Like as far as uh, like, what do I try to show in my content? In your comment, in your comment. Oh, excuse me, my, my comment. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I like to just, the thing is if a video, this is, this pisses me off so much. If you, if you're supposed to uh, engage with as many comments as possible, but you have a video that's blowing up, then TikTok will kick you off for 24 hours for commenting too much. And you're like, hmm. I'm not spamming anybody. I'm here. For this. You told me to do this. These are these people. <laughs> to me, I'm simply saying hello. Um, oh, well. I, I, I like to. I, I really like to be gracious. I really want to be grateful for. Uh, excuse me, grateful. I really want to be grateful for people coming by and having like, like being interested enough to say anything. Uh, I love the haters because. I'm not doing anything. I have time in my day to sit down and just <laughs> go at it. And it's like going at it in like the most harmless way where you're just like, oh man, you just, just go on some of my TikToks and like just if, see if anyone's been reading. You will see like I've like followed them down like 12 messages. And I have so much fun just kind of like, trolling with them and you know what's really funny is 
if if you're if I'm not like a asshole, if it doesn't get mean, I've just made a fan. That person's <laughs> gonna keep on coming back. But I love messing with the haters. So so I I absolutely love that stuff. And I, and I feel like everyone gets that. Like if you're putting anything out there, you're gonna get both of those, regardless of like I feel like Picasso would if he posted his stuff now on TikTok, someone would be like, it's too blue. And you're like, Oh, thanks. Like that's exactly what I was going for. Um, but yeah. he, here's the next thing that then that I find as as someone who started my appreciation of music with with more of like going to a store, buying an album, whether it was a cassette or CD, like having to purchase it to kind of that transition to more well, Napster and all of those wonderful things. And then now today where, where everything's completely virtual and streaming. When when I'm on something like Spotify or Apple Music or anything like that, literally every single day I can find a new artist or band that has a sound that fits me that 20 years ago I probably would have been a diehard fan but now I listen to it maybe while I'm doing my work and then I maybe follow them just because oh I want to know because I'm not going to remember their name in two weeks because in two weeks there's going to be about 30 other new things or or I'm going to hit a button and I'm going to listen to a radio with other artists like them and I'm going to find more. Do you, two questions, do you feel that same way? And then is there a lack of um, that kind of devotion or, or following with it? Because it's, I used to know every single word of every single song to every single one of my favorite bands and artists. And when an album came out, that was my life. And now um, if I find it just as strong of a connection to one, maybe it, it, it takes harder for it to stay connected with me, I guess is what I'm saying. Do you think that that's happening across the board or is that just kind of a, a microcosm or where do you fall on that? Yes. <laughs> Perfect. No, Love it. Um, um god it's something it's something i feel more than i think about um yeah let me take take a big sip of coffee all right i'm back um so man i miss it i miss it so bad i miss i miss my friends telling me about this new artist and then whenever I go to see that artist play, they deliver. And it, and it, to me, like whenever I found like a day to remember, or did you, do you, do you all grow up listening like to the emo stuff and like the pop punk? Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, I was there. Okay, this is the perfect example. Asking Alexandria, <laughs> my, friend, my, my friend Casey says, hey, this band named Asking Alexandria and Inner Shikari are playing Headliners tonight. We got to go. Asking Alexandria opens up for Inner Shikari. And the room is like maybe a quarter filled. Mm-hmm. Me and Casey and my friend Jacob go on to uh, Asking Alexandria's little tour bus, like their little van, and just hang out with them. Mm -hmm. and that show 
we all felt like we had just discovered Guns N' Roses underneath a rock. You know what I mean? <laughs> like they sounded so big and so awesome. They weren't big yet. Like what the hell is this? This is so cool. And the next time they come back, it's sold out. Yeah. They can't even play the same venue, right? Yep. And you're right, man. That devotion is so cool. And there's so much out there now. You know, it's supply and demand. Mm-hmm. so oversaturated it makes people less invested i think um here i can, can i i'm gonna turn the mic on you real fast i have two yeah. questions for you regarding this yeah Diageo. um number one do you think that music discovery and music devotion is only for like kids in childhood and then mm. you hit like 25 and that's the music you're excited about forever like yeah do you think like that discovery thing is something that is kind of sacredly for childhood and adolescence and maybe that's just a part of our world now so maybe these younger kids feel like they're still discovering and so devoted to these people they're following on tiktok and spotify yeah um I'll, i'll speak for me and biagio then i'll let you you jump on that one i um yeah i i've i've heard that that during your your teenage years that's the music that you'll no matter what it'll follow you the rest of your life and you'll you'll find that out and you'll still have that connection what i've enjoyed about streaming is i feel like i am exposed to far more new upcoming music than people that that didn't have that so if you you know you were in your 30s 40s and 50s and the 90s you literally had to go to tower records to try and find something that was a little indie or something that wasn't mainstream and then it was just what was on the radio and it's very easy to turn on a radio station that fits your needs and you just keep getting exposed to that so i think it's more but still like some of my favorite bands the minute they're they're my favorite bands are still from when i was a teenager and when they release an album i still have far more of a visceral reaction to that than any new one right now but i also see that with younger i mean taylor swift is one of the greatest examples of how that that commitment and devotion of a fan base is, is still there i mean so so it's not as we're talking about this it's not like it's something that doesn't exist it just i think it might be you either have to be taylor swift one of the greatest songwriters and performers and all of this stuff ever you know hitting a whole new like beatles level or it's going to be something very, very tiny, like me finding you, Sam, and saying, wow, he's got, you know, he's, he's got a good amount of Spotify listeners. And, and I'm having that on the bus moment with him right now. And for the rest of my life, because I've talked to you, I'm going to follow your career. And when you do make it, I'm going to be like, damn, I I remember that. Like he, he's still mine. Does that answer any of your question? (laughs) That answers all all of it. And it 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 was very, very kind. Okay. Yes. So, but, but you see where I'm saying with that one and then absolutely. Jump in. sorry. Yeah, no, to me, uh, I think I still like when I was growing up, I was listening to a lot of music that my parents were listening because they were played in the house. And yeah, of course, when I listened to a song I was listening when I was young, it's still enlightened my heart. And I still remember words by words, uh, <laughs> even if, you know, it's been 20 plus years that I didn't listen 
it because they, most of them are Italians or big groups like Beatles and Queens and stuff like that. But what I notice now is that I'm not so much into like a group or an artist, but uh, when my emotions are connected with a particular song of a specific artist, I, it does it does also get in my heart. I, st- I still think about that song. I reason in my head and but but I have to have kind of an emotional connection. It's not like anymore I just I listen to a group and because it's that group or it's that singer, I'm I'm gonna love it. It's more like okay, does the beat, does the emotion that it gives me is connected to me, how I feel in this moment, uh in, in order to be stuck in my head. I don't know how to explain it, but it's, it's almost like that. And it can be any artist uh, that I stream or uh, run across. It's, it's just, yeah. I think that is, is the emotional component more than when I was a child. No, you're right. I mean, I think that's really cool, man. Because the thing is, at the end of the day, human beings aren't logical. We're emotional. Mm-hmm. And we act on feelings and we act on emotions. And so if it the band doesn't tug at the heart heartstrings, then there's a uh, slim chance you're going to follow them for the rest of their career, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then my other question for you all was um, kind of piggybacking off of this conversation. Do you all think there's going to be another gigantic artist? I listened to a Dave Grohl thing. Hmm the other day and he it was a is the documentary he made about uh bands like people having to do the bands things so like the things that drive us and it's a really cool documentary about bands getting in the van and that being so important to the uh the process and he said something along the lines like it was so weird it was like in the early 2000s like 2010 they drew a line and they said these are the bands that can play stadiums and arenas by themselves. And then everybody else is gonna be a little bit smaller just given, uh, you know, the nature of the business. And it's like, mm-hmm. I didn't think we were gonna see another breakout huge artist, but now Olivia Rodrigo has me thinking, yep. okay, is she gonna be the next Taylor Swift? I cannot mm-hmm. wait for the next album. So will we have another big band go? Um, I think I'll, I'll take yeah. this first. Go, Biagio. Go, go, go. Yeah. I think the answer is yes to me because, again, I think those big bands, I listen to them because my parents exposed me to them, right? Or my classmate exposed to them. So if there is an artist that is able to talk to people in a way that you want to say, okay, oh, did you listen to this song? Or what do you think about this song to your friends? Or you make that song play in your house and expose your kids to that. I think they will uh, increase the chances. Of course, I think it's more challenging just because again, the way we consume the music is so much different than before. And as you said, it's probably saturated industry and you know it's much easier now to, to reach out to the crowd. So it's uh you know i think it's more challenging for the artist to get to that point but if they find a way to speak uh to a new generation or to my generation then and really communicate some emotions i think yeah i think yeah i totally think it's possible that's a that's a solid question sam and i think um i think we're at 
it's kind of a generational flow almost. And I think Biagio, that's what you're kind of talking about. I feel like for right now, we are seeing the peak of a, not the peak, but the, the fullest uh, fandom for multiple artists in their career and, and potentially have that last for the next like five to six years. So what I'm trying to say with that is Beyonce's up there. Like Beyonce can go and sell that stuff out and everyone knows it. And, and she'll be able to do that for probably the rest of her career. Taylor Swift will do that same thing. We have those ones there. But what's also happened during and and, and Foo Fighters and I mean we'll look at just Kirk Cobain's influence on 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 so many different bands as they've come through. I guess what I'm trying to say is some of those ones that are selling out their arenas by themselves, they're inspiring people and speaking for even you, Sam, some of where you're coming from. And it, it's just, they, they're still on the scene. So they're still taking that space up, but there are people working their way there that when they're kind of starting to slide back or maybe saying, we don't need to go sell out, you know, Madison square garden by ourselves. We're ready to just kind of step into the background a little bit and do just the award shows and all that stuff. Then someone else will be right there. I think it's just the, the nature of, of us and, and fandom and especially whether it's good or bad, as we have our celebrities and our musicians and our creators uh, allowing for a perceived deeper connection. So like, again, Sam, when, when I saw you on TikTok and when I see you on Instagram, I feel like so many, so many times I'm like, I, oh yeah, I'm, I'm friends with Sam and we've never met, you know what I mean? Like, and, and good creators foster that uh, to the point where it, it can almost even be detrimental that, that you, you really don't some of these people have relationships with one with their their fandom or their celebrity and they really don't so i think yes someone will come through i think though it could be something like um literally a a a youtuber or a tiktok creator that people aren't necessarily coming for the traditional music but they're still selling out stadiums to go be in the same space as that one person that might be a little different well, hey, Ras, connected to that, sorry, Sam, I'll, I'll okay. jump on this because I have a question for you, is do you even think that like in the future, do we need to, uh, I know I know pretty much how you're going to go with this answer, but with this question, but I still want to ask you this. Do you think in the future, the venue are going to be physical venue or is going to be, you know, concert in the metaverse, right? And how does that shift uh, your question and w- what is actually going to happen in the industry, right? If the concert is going to be in the metaverse, is the same type of fans that you need to be as passionate to pay, I don't know, $200 to fly to Chicago at United Center to listen to that specific group or just, you know, connect for the laptop and just pay for the, you know, the price of the Metaverse show. I don't know. That, that's another uh, thing to add to the conversation, I think. Absolutely. I'm going to hit that question, but I do want to say thank you uh, to both of you. Uh, we are fast friends and I will hang out with you all any day. And I'm really <laughs> glad that the monotony that I go through on TikTok is coming through as genuine and it means the world. Yes. So thank you all. And then Biagio for your question, I think we already know the answer and it breaks my fucking heart. <laughs> um, well, I think you can't stop progress. You can't keep the new thing. Here is my stance on it. 
I am going to make a bunch of NFTs because I need the money. And I think that the engagement and the investment that fan bases can have in an artist's music is fascinating. You know what? Like, fuck a record label, buy my Mm -hmm. art, here's part of my royalty. If crypto turns out to be sustainable, which still seems like it's, you know, little hit or miss, we'll see in the next, you know, five years, um, then fuck a record label. I'm just, mm-hmm. we'll just do that. As far as metaverse, I have made a, I don't, make, just to say it's a moral decision sounds preachy. I have made a personal health <laughs> decision that <laughs> I, I'm gonna stay away from the metaverse. It, it breaks my heart. I think it's will lead to the inevitable destruction of the human spirit and uh, genuine interaction. And if I have my way, I'll never play a concert in the metaverse. That to me makes me want to throw up, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, I'm a big Lord of the Rings fan. And mm-hmm. I remember uh, Ian McKellen who played Gandalf talking about, making the hobbit movies and when he got to the third hobbit movie he just broke down and he just started sobbing and left set because the almost the entirety of the movie he was talking to cgi poles Mm -hmm. on a green screen okay and so he's just like what's the point here's a man who's made an incredible career he started off in you know london shakespearean acting where you're, you're just, you, it's all about the people and the interaction. And he's having to be Gandalf to foam balls and a green screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it broke his heart. It broke his spirit. And it'll break mine too. Um, well, but but um, Sam, let me ask you this. What if it is in a hybrid fashion? Meaning that, you know, some people just can't afford to travel from, I don't know, the Philippines to listen to a concert. And you're still on stage and you still have physical crowd, but then, you know, there are some people joining you uh, like through the metaverse. That, that would be an option or are you like, no, I want like real fans. I want to see the, the place full of real people. Uh, two answers to that. Number one, absolutely. You know, if, but isn't, I don't know if that's necessarily metaverse or if that's just, you know, a free streaming thing. Like, hey, I'm going to be broadcasting mm. the show on mm-hmm. YouTube channel come watch it versus you seeing an avatar of me playing guitar in your local town square metaverse, you know? And the other thing I'll say, cause I think it's really important, you know, there, it is hard to get people to get out, uh, especially get out across the country. I, I want to use the little anecdote to, uh, to describe this though. Um, the Rolling Stones never got to play Cuba Hmm. and the fan base of the Rolling Stones in Cuba was gigantic like gigantic and you know there was 40 years where the Rolling Stones couldn't play Cuba and when they finally did I think they'll say it was one of their favorite shows like Hmm. It was gigantic. It became a cultural phenomenon like in their uh, country. And they made a whole documentary about it, which is beautiful. And just how special 
that was. So, and the reason I'm saying that is, yeah, let's make sure that, you know, your fan base can connect with you wherever you are. And let's give people who don't have the opportunity to see live music, see live music in whatever capacity they can, but that will never be a live show. I don't care if you're using auto-tune at your live show. I don't care if, you know, whatever your live show looks like, but getting people in the same room for the sake of music will never be replaceable. And if I had my way, Skynet would take over tomorrow. No one would die. The whole thing would crash and we'd have to start over at zero. And then (laughs) all I have to do is, you know, get in a van and get the money to print vinyl. (laughs) You know, it's just like, um, and maybe that's just me growing up and being nostalgic and becoming an old man. But I think we are losing something. You know, I think everybody kind of feels the same way. Um, So just how do we go forward responsibly? How do we go forward at the sake of, you know, our own hearts? (laughs) Because they're, uh, you know, they're on the chopping block right now, as far as I'm concerned with media consumption. Wow, Sam, I think that is a wonderful place to, to wrap our conversation up here. Uh, and, and do know that when, when you hit the road and you're in the Midwest, uh, reach out to us because I know DeKalb, Illinois and Northern Illinois University, it might be a small venue, but we'd be happy to have you come play and, and, yeah. and actually see you in person and, and get that real experience. So put that on your calendar and on your, your wish list. <laughs> what'd you say sam what, what city in illinois dekelb illinois so that's exactly where we're at so we're about uh hour hour and a half outside of chicago so if you're kind of in that area and we're in between madison and that stuff too so it, it can be a, a stop on the way i guess is what i'm saying well book me a show dude i'll come on out Okay. All right. All right. We'll, we'll get on that. All of our listeners know that, that that'll be in the future here. Hopefully in the next coming, coming months, we'll, we'll get Sam out here in person. Okay, Sam. Sounds good. Russ, Biagio, thank you all so, so much. This was a, uh, an amazing start to the day. A great conversation. Uh, we're fast friends and, uh, yeah, I want to say thank you to everyone who's listening as well. Um, my name's Sam Varga, V-A-R-G-A. You can find me at all Sam Varga stuff and, Keep on listening to this show because it's fucking sick. (laughs) Sam, thank you for that. Again, yeah, do follow Sam on all of those different social medias. Check him out on Spotify. He's got some great music out there. I will put some descriptions and some uh, links in the description at the bottom of this one so you can find Sam directly. Again, Sam, thank you so much. And everyone, have a great rest of your day. And thank you to all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Gateway brought to you by NIU's College of Business. Please make sure to subscribe to The Gateway. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. And if you are so inclined, please feel free to give us those five-star ratings, which help allow us to continue to bring wonderful guests to the gateway. Thank you all for listening, and remember to love always the promise of tomorrow today.